from my story to your story. Let's talk about grief. I will share my own grief journey, along with interviewing others about their path of sorrow and healing. I hope that you, the listener, will hear something that helps as you navigate your own grief and that God will be glorified along the way. This content is meant as a discussion and not to give professional help. Let's get started. In this episode, I'd like to share with you my what and why. What happened in my life and why am I even talking about a grief journey? Well, let's go back to 1983 when I had graduated high school and headed to college. And when I got to a college, uh, I was going to take education at a small Bible college. I got out of the vehicle there. One of the very first people I saw was this tall fellow with curly hair, dressed nicely. And I remember thinking he was so handsome. And I remember thinking, "Mm, I would like to meet him. But not only did I think I'd like to meet him, I remember the thought going through my head, I think that's the guy I'm going to marry. That sounds a little bizarre and over the top, I know, but a neat part to the story is that I later found out that Don, that fellow that I had seen, after meeting me that day, had stepped over to a fellow that he knew and said, I think I just met the girl I'm going to marry. And that was not like him. If you know him, that was not something he would say, and especially not to just a friend at college versus maybe somebody like his parents. So it was really special that both of us thought in the moments that we saw each other that, hey, this is the one, and turned out to be true. Two weeks after we met, we had already been out on a date, knew we really liked each other. Within two years, we were married. And over the next nine years, God would give us three sons, that my three sons, and uh, just a wonderful life together. It was not a perfect life by any means, but we really enjoy being married to one another and being the parents of our three sons. We were those parents who thought nobody can love their kids as much as we love our kids. I'm sure we all think that, but that's really how we felt. And we enjoyed time together and life together. Don started out in our marriage um, as a youth pastor in our church. And he was that for a while. And then he became one of the assistant pastors in the church or at and then the assistant pastor, and then later he would even go on to be the pastor of the church. And he would pastor there for 13 years. At the beginning of the 13 years that Don was pastor, he had a near-death experience with congestive heart failure. And by God's grace, he allowed his EF number to improve from 18 to in the 40s over a time period with medicine and many prayers, And he lived a relatively normal life. I remember, if you fast forward all the way to right before he passed, in 2019, in that July, all of our family, our grown sons, our daughters in love, and all of our grandchildren, we went on a vacation together in Tennessee. And on that vacation, I remember noticing and just really thinking, he looks so tired. And asking him, are you okay? Are you okay? And I, he reassured me, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. He also was starting to limp a little, and he was having trouble with his back. And that is really not all that unusual. He had had a back injury early on, just shortly after we were married. But I could tell something you know, was starting to hurt him a lot more than usual. He seemed in quite a bit of pain. It kept him from doing some things, and that was not like him. 
So after that vacation, when we went home, we were near our anniversary. We, we were celebrating 34 years of marriage that August. And he said, you know, the weekend of our anniversary, we usually get away for a day or two. He said, the weekend of our anniversary, I would really like to be at the church that Sunday night to help everybody tear down because we were, he had just finished overseeing a remodel of the auditorium and everybody was so excited about it. And all the people were going to come together and just take out the pews and take out the old carpet and, you know, do the labor to get everything cleared for the carpet layers to come in and lay carpet. And he want, he said, I don't want to just tell the people to do it. I want to be there and do it. So can we go away for our anniversary of the weekend before? Sure. So we did. And I remember on that anniversary trip also thinking, he is tired and his back was really hurting. In fact, we so. normally did a lot of walking on the little trips that we took to D.C. for our anniversary every year. And then sometimes, uh, you know, we'd ride the metro places and things like that. This time we took an Uber everywhere we went because he was just having that much trouble with both energy and strength. And I thought it was just all the busyness of the uh, remodel and how much more he was carrying at that time. And so we come back from that and we come up to that Sunday night and he stays after and he helps with the pews, helps pull up some carpet and his back gave out all the way. By the time he got home and into the house, he said, I have done it. I have put myself over the edge. And by the next morning, he couldn't go into work and his pain was excruciating. Don was, he was not a baby. He was not a complainer, but he said, you know, this is incredible pain and more like nerve pain. It was a burning and just on fire. So we got a hold of doctors. He went into the doctor and the doctor said, you know, you have a pacemaker defibrillator. And by the way, he had that put in soon after his bout with congestive heart failure. But the doctor said, you know, you need to have a myelogram done. We cannot do an MRI on you because of the magnetic field. And so Don said, well, I can't have a myelogram done. He had had one of those years before when that's how they did find out what was wrong with your back. And he had had um, an allergic reaction to the dye that they had used. And he said, I can't, I can't do this. And the doctor said, oh, no, actually, you know, this is really our only choice to get in there and see what's going on. And when you're talking about nerve pain, I can't chance going in there with a needle and not knowing what's going on. And so he said, what we'll do is we'll give you mega doses of steroid and we'll make sure that, you know, if to keep any reaction down to a minimum. So that's exactly what they did. They did a myelogram. They had given him the steroids. They'd already had him on some steroids for just a shrink swelling in general in the area. And then they put him on a megadose of steroids for this procedure. Then while they were in there, they were, they were able to see what was going on. Basically, they described it as a, a disc in his back was leaking fluid and also, you know, pressing on a nerve. And so they were able, while they were in there, to insert a needle and, and try to really target the area and put in more steroids. So he spent on all these steroids, which, you know, just kind of weakens your system anyway. And in addition to that, I should say that he was taking pain meds and the big guns, the biggest, the narcotics, the ones that you are, you're warned about and you're afraid that, you know, you'll get addicted to. So we had talked about that. We were watching that very closely and probably within a week or two after these procedures with, with the needle and the steroid and so forth, 
they were working. Don's back was getting better. He was able to move from having to sleep in a recliner to being able to sleep in, in a bed again. And he was able to get around a little bit. He was even able to speak at the church in one of the services, leaning against a stool. And uh, really, it was like the Sunday that was... I don't know what you call it, the soft open of the new auditorium. It was more for our people. And then we were pushing for that following Sunday was going to be a really big day and invite visitors and, and be the actual dedication of the remodeled auditorium. So anyway, um, we were both very conscious about him taking these pills. And I remember saying, you know, make sure that when you, when you think you can, we switch off of these. And he said one day, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to take any more pain medicine. I think I'm to the point I can try Advil. And so he did that. We just went from pain pill to Advil. And I had not read in the directions where we should have tapered off. And he had not either. And we hadn't been, you know, to a doctor right close to the time that we decided to do this for a doctor to say, oh, taper off. So within a day and a half after he stopped this medication, the pain pills, he was completely out of breath. And I had seen that kind of out of breath. That was the kind of out of breath that he was when he had congestive heart failure. And I said, you know, I don't, this, this just doesn't make sense. This is something new. This is something different than what's associated with the back. And he would even stumble to get to a seat and then just sit down exhausted and had to, couldn't even talk. And we just hold his hands up, like, leave me alone for a minute. I need to catch my breath. I, I reread the papers and realized, oh, and I wonder if going off of the pain pills has possibly sent him into heart failure because that was one of the warnings on the sheet. So I called and, you know, the doctor said, oh, I don't think this is likely, but if you need to go to the emergency room this weekend, go ahead. And so we got through the weekend and called his cardiologist and he wanted to see his cardiologist. So we called him and it was going to be a few days, but they got him in. We go to that appointment. And at that appointment, his doctor was grim and very serious. You know, he said, there is, I'm afraid you're in heart failure. Um, at the very least, congestive heart failure. And this, when you looked at Don, he didn't really look like he was holding fluid in his hands, his feet, and that kind of thing. And and he didn't usually. So I thought, hmm, I don't know if this is really congestive heart failure, and began to be fearful that it was actually heart failure. So the doctor said, I'm going to send you home with some diuretics, and we're going to see if we'll take fluid off. If, if fluid doesn't come off, then we need to be concerned, and you need to get right back here. And you're looking at probably being put in the hospital and us seeing what's going on and if you're in heart failure. So that's exactly what we did. We went home. He took the diuretics. Uh, that was on a Wednesday, I believe. And that Wednesday into Thursday really didn't seem like any fluid was coming off. So I remember saying, Don, you're not going to get back into the doctor. And he said, we, we will tomorrow. That would be Friday. We'll call the doctor. And um, I, this was by Thursday afternoon. He said, I'm feeling just a little bit better. Um, so let's just wait this out. I think it might be working. Well, by Thursday, a few hours after he said that, we knew it wasn't working and he was feeling very poorly. And he's actually our middle son, Justin, had come to see him for a little while, stopped by to see his dad. And I'm so grateful he did because the other two sons would be able to see his, see their dad again, but Justin would not. And by God's grace and mercy, he allowed him to spend some time with him that evening. And uh, Don got really quiet and somber and, you could just tell something wasn't right. And he 
when Justin left, he, he later told me that when he left, he, he cried all the way home and just thought, I, something's really wrong with dad. He was, he became very fearful at that point. And he said, well, I'll let him tell that when I interview him. We're going to hear about grief from his standpoint. But uh, I'm so glad that he had those moments with his dad. But he, he did realize that something was going very wrong. And we, so I asked on that night when I said, I'm really concerned about you. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I'm afraid too. I think something's very wrong. I said, let's go to the hospital. Let's go to the hospital tonight. No, I don't want to just go sit over there and be in the emergency room for hours and all the things. He said, if I'm still not feeling any better, I promise I'll go in the morning. So that night he wanted to sleep in the recliner because that's the only way he felt like he could get his breath. And I said, okay, I, he seemed to be struggling enough. I brought my things in there and slept on the couch in the room where he was. But I remember, I don't know, four or five in the morning being so exhausted where I hadn't really slept well on the couch or slept much at all moving to our bed, sleeping a few hours. So I got up and came back through. And as I went to go by him, he was able to lift his hand up like this to me. This was something we did where he, or he would put his hand up and I would put my hand in his and he would stop me. And then I'd bend down and kiss him. And that was just something we had done for years. And he did that again as I walked by him that day. And right at that moment, I said, well, I noticed his hand was very cold. And at that moment, I said, okay, are you ready to go to the hospital? And he said, yes, I actually think I am. Well, that floored me because I just thought it was going to be a harder fight than that. So I said, okay, I'm going to get everything ready and try to take you. And if you are so out of breath or so weak that you can't go, I'm going to call an ambulance. And then he said, okay. That was my next clue that something was, you know, that he was more serious than I had at first anticipated. And so I text my sons and just said, if I'm going to take dad to the hospital and if I can get him there, we'll go in the car. But if, if he really just, I can't get him to the car, I'm going to call an ambulance. Well, in minutes, the oldest son, Jamie, he was there. He only lived about a minute away and he came straight there. And then our youngest son, John, who was working across town, came right from work. And as I said earlier, you know, the two of them were able to see him for a few minutes that morning, which again, I'm so thankful for. And, and I will interview them and talk about some of their grief and what they went through because they were actually there when Don passed away. And um, so we go through saying, we decide he's very weak and out of breath. We call an ambulance and they get there. They have a stretcher on the front porch and he's about 10 steps away sitting on this decorative pew thing we had in the entranceway. And they say he was a big guy. And so they ask him, is there any way you can get from the pew to the stretcher? And then we'll put you on the stretcher and take you in the ambulance. And he said, I really don't think I can. And at that moment, I just remember thinking, oh, wow, okay. But I still thought, to be honest, we're just going to, we just got to get him to the hospital. I, I think he even said, I th said something to him like, just hang in there. You know, we're going to get you to the hospital. They're going to run tests. We'll find out what's going on. They're going to help us. And I, uh, the next thing they did when he said he couldn't make it to the stretcher, they brought in this chair on wheels, similar to a wheelchair, but um, they put it right beside where he was sitting and they said, 
can you go from here, the pew, just to this chair? Can you just stand up, let us turn you and put you in the chair? And he did. And when he stood up, that was the moment. As he positioned himself in front of that chair, and my son Jamie was had his arms out and under his dad's arms from the front, and the EMT worker was behind him and supporting him from the back, right then and there, he left this world and went into glory. And I was watching him, and I remember seeing, I mean, it wasn't literally a ripple, but it was like there was a ripple. It was like you saw all the life leave his body. And I, I mean, I guess I feared that he was passing, but I still thought maybe he was passing out. My son said, dad, dad, stay with us, stay with us. And um, I remember standing beside him coming over, you know, closer to him and then saying to the EMT worker, can you help him, please? Can you, can we help him? Because we were just all standing there. It seemed like forever. I'm sure it was only a second, but we worked together to lower him to the floor and then he started uh, doing work on him. And I was so naive about or not understanding what was happening. I remember saying to the EMT, is he dead? Is he okay? Is he alive? You know, that kind of questioning. And I remember them saying, we're keeping him alive. You know, they're working on him and they're saying, well, we're keeping him alive. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, that means there's a possibility. He's got, they're going to be able to, uh, you know, that there's some heartbeat there. And, and really there was a little bit of activity. We would come to find out later that that was the defibrillator trying to start his heart, even though it could not. So um, they worked together to get him on some type board that you take people out to the stretcher and get him in the ambulance. And, and we all know that we have to head to the hospital. I'm still thinking that maybe they will be able to revive him. My sons just from past history of things they'd seen, I think they both knew that he had passed and that he would not be able to be re revived. But by then Justin, our middle son had gotten there once they put him in the ambulance and all of us, you know, went our various ways to get to the hospital. And uh, Don's parents were there with us. His sister was out of town at the time and ended up cutting her vacation short and, and coming right back. But we, those of us that were there, we got to the hospital and I remember going in and seeing in the hospital, not the doors you immediately walk in, but on the other side of the waiting area of the emergency room, I remember seeing a fellow there who introduced himself as a chaplain. And I know that drill as a pastor's wife, I fell apart. I, I don't know if I was screaming. I was definitely crying. And I was saying things like, oh, my word, he's dead. He's dead. He's dead. You know, there's a chaplain. They wouldn't have the chaplain here if he wasn't dead. And in my mind, I, I do remember thoughts crossing my mind. Like, I hope that this chaplain looks at me and says, oh, no, you're mistaken. He's not really dead. Um, you know, we revived him, but he didn't. And then they took us to a room and, you know, all of that is foggy. We can talk about that at another time, but you know, we went through the events where they told us they had done all that they could and that he had passed. And the truth is he passed there at our home. We saw him pass. We saw the life leave his body. We saw the moment he went to be with Jesus. And in fact, 
you know, that motion I told you that he makes where he stuck his hand up and he would grab mine. He did that motion at the moment that life left his body. And I just have to say, you know, I wonder if that's him grabbing the hand of Jesus or the angel, you know, that escorted him over into glory. I don't know. I, you know, in the humor of it, it's probably was his defibrillator sending that arm in the air. But for me, it's a comfort that perhaps he was doing that same thing he had done to me for years and just reaching out to grab the hand of Jesus and be taken right over into to heaven. Um, but anyway, to, to come back to the grief part of it, that is what started my grief journey was losing the love of my life that I had been married to for 34 years that I had worked side by side in ministry and had reared sons with and we were interwoven in just every way as one and when he died that day you know there's a part of me that died that will never be revived and I know grief is endless it goes on and on but there is a path of healing continual healing I won't say you're healed from it I don't want it to sound like you ever really stop grieving but there is a path where you unpack that grief and you deal with it and you get better at going forward in life is how I should say it. And that's what I want our episodes to be about. I'm going to tell you in some episodes, some things that happened around surrounding my grief, but I'm also going to interview people and that will be the, the biggest part of it. I'll interview person after person and we'll discuss grief from all different angles, whether it's losing a father or a mother or a sister or a brother or a close friend or a child or your your mate, your fiance, you know, there's so many ways that grief can enter your life. There's also other instances like having a miscarriage or um, being told you, you will never have children or children growing up and leaving your home or someone close to you moving far away. Uh, grief can be what you go through after a divorce or a child experiencing grief because the parents are divorcing. And uh, there are just so many facets that we could talk about and hear from people. And as we have these discussions, it will help all of us. It will help the person talking to do to discuss their grief and to go through it and unpack it some. It will also help you as a listener to realize you're not alone and you don't have to go through this alone, that there are other people experiencing what you feel like must be the most horrific thing you've ever been through. And so I just want you to find something that you can resonate with, find some comfort, just find some validation in hearing other people talk about things that are, are similar to what you're going through. And so I hope you'll come with me on this grief journey. It's heavy and it's hard, but there's also some hope and some joy and even some humor along the way. And I look forward to sharing this time with you and going on this journey with you. We appreciate you joining us today at Speak Your Grief with Sonia. At Speak Your Grief with Sonia. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube as new episodes are added weekly. Thank you again for joining us as we unpack our grief. We hope you have been reminded that you are not alone in this journey.